Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Today's show, we have Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman, the author of Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living. Woo! Get a Grip on Lighting, going spiritual again, Greggy. That's right. We're getting there lately quite a bit, but that's okay. That happens. You wouldn't believe I get the I get a, I have a couple big fans of fans, colleagues, fans, get out of here, colleagues on LinkedIn that are like, oh, get a get, get them spiritual with the get a grip on lighting style. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, messaging me and um, it's great. So, the, you know, this one is good, especially if you're thinking about how light affects people. This is a good one. And I'm going to read the guy's book and I'll tell you all about it after. So before we do any of that, though, Greggy, we got to talk about the original. The original, energyfocus.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com. And we've been hitting this end focus nail on the head over and over again because I just changed the lights in my studio to end focus, Greg. Yeah, there's a reason for it. I mean, you've heard a lot of our discussions lately and in the last year and then since we started this thing. And the lighting industry is talking about human-centric lighting or whatever you want to call it, healthy lighting, right? Integrative lighting. And integrative, whatever we want to call it. But the more and more you talk about it, the more and more it's like, why aren't you doing something at least? You can at least do something. We don't know what the benefits are going to be, but you have the capability. Why not look at it? And focus is the most capable, easy system to use. It's a type B tube that gives you color changing and dimming ability in the tube. You don't have to get wild with wiring it, new fixtures, new systems. Zero to uh, 10 new volt, zero to 10 volt, all this Nothing. stuff. Keep that fixture that you have right there. Cut the ballast out, put these tubes in, the new controller that handles it all. You wire it into the wall switch. It's easy. Works. Simple. So you got to go to the original, folks. Energyfocus.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot. Com. Yeah, proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Get associated, man. Like, get associated. <laughs> just a sigh. That means it's time. Don't make Mike say it again. Just sign up. Join. Let's go. Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman. Yeah. Nice to have you on. <laughs> yeah. It's good to be here. Say hello to my co-host, Greg Garrick. Hello, Greg Garrett. Hi. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. So right. you have made discoveries, okay, in the fields of light, vision, and consciousness. I find that yeah. very interesting. Um. Before I break into a whole set of different questions about combining the words light, vision, and consciousness all together in one sentence and saying that there's yeah. discoveries, what is the primary discovery you've made? Like, what is the one thing that you would hang your hat on, Dr. Lieberman? That all of life is really about seeing. Hmm. And being seen. Well, let's just talk <laughs> about seeing, first of all. And when I speak about seeing, I'm not talking about reading the eye chart. I'm talking about that phenomenon that occurs when you get something. Mm. And immediately what comes out of your mouth is, I see. And mm. it doesn't mean that I can read the eye chart. It means that there's a knowing. 
Mm-hmm. It isn't, I think, there is an absolute clarity about something. And when those moments happen, <clears throat> they're often life-changing. We call them epiphanies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've had a series of those during my life. <clears throat> Initially, when I was a practicing optometrist and vision scientist, and those moments were life-changing for me. They were, um, they allowed me to see something in a way that I had never seen it. And it guided me down a whole journey in my life that brought many new awarenesses uh, about the most important thing, about how to be healthy and happy, the same thing we all want you know, how to be content in life and so on. So all of my work, even though it dealt for years with helping people with their vision and helping people using light as a therapeutic tool, what I discovered at the end of the day is everybody wants the same thing. Everyone would like to have the best possible health and people would like to be as free of stress as we possibly can be. So that's probably the main thing for me. And then my life has really been about the things that I've, uh, I have found through living almost 73 years that allow us to have a little bit more ease, a little bit easier ability to breathe in life. Now there's one item I read here that you overcame your own eyesight issues or what, what give us that rundown or what, what happened there? Yeah. Um, I was a kid with a reading problem, probably very common among many of our listeners. And even though I could read, reading wasn't something that was very enjoyable for me. In fact, when I started to read, it took so much energy to just focus in on the book that I found myself falling asleep. And so schoolwork was really difficult. And as a result of that, I thought something was really wrong with me. I thought I was stupid on some level. <clears throat> and um, when I got into college about 10 days after starting class, I was in the middle of taking a pop quiz and at that time, they would write the questions on the blackboard and you would write them down. And I was, you know, looking at the blackboard, looking at my paper. I looked up at the blackboard and the blackboard was blurry. I didn't know what the hell had happened. It never had happened before in my life. And within a couple of minutes, it cleared up, but then it happened again. And when I finished the test, I ran down to the infirmary. And I told him what was happening, and they brought me to the ophthalmologist, and the ophthalmologist checked my eyes, and he said, oh, you're nearsighted, you have a little astigmatism, and they gave me glasses, like what happens with most of us. I got the glasses, and it was like I was so glad that I didn't have some disease in my eye or something that caused it, and I could see clearly, but it didn't make any impact on the difficulty I was having with reading, so schoolwork was still difficult. And then I noticed the more I wore the glasses, the more addicted I became to the glasses. I couldn't function without them. And initially when I got them, I could take them off and I could still see fairly okay. 
But after a few months, I took them off and everything was blurry and it wouldn't get clear. And this repeated itself over and over again. And so when I was going through my medical training, I was having the same problem the first two years in school, tremendous problems with reading. And that made all of my classroom work very, very difficult. And so I was about to go into my third year, even though I wasn't sure whether they were going to let me pass on because I just had like a 2-0 average. And so one of the teachers said, why don't you go down to the clinic and have a vision exam? So I went down. The guy said, I need stronger glasses, which I'd already heard about seven or eight times before that. So I got the glasses, but he also said to me, you know, you have some problems using your eyes together as a team, which I didn't really understand because I used to be a star athlete as a kid. So I didn't know what he was talking about. And he gave me this little instrument to exercise my eyes with, which I never used. One day I was doing my homework in my bedroom and I fell asleep, which happened all the time. And when my eyes opened up, the first thing that caught my eye was this instrument that he had given me. And I picked it up. It was the first time I ever used it. I used it for five minutes. And then I read for an hour nonstop with the best attention and comprehension I think I'd ever experienced. It was like a light bulb went on in my head. I don't know what happened, but it hit me so hard I started crying because I thought it was stupid my whole life. And that was my first experience that, wait a minute, I'm not stupid. And I did these exercises about 10 minutes a day for two months. And then I made the dean's list every single quarter for the last two years and ended up top 10 in my class. That was my first experience that that vision is a lot more than eyesight. In relation to your question, when I went into practice in 1973, I saw the same thing that I saw in my medical training. Every time a patient came in, they had the same complaint they had the year before. I can't see. And every year we do the same thing. We gave them a stronger pair of glasses. And I started realizing if a problem continues to get worse, the solution can't possibly be the solution. So I started experimenting with my patients and with myself to see, could I become uh, less dependent upon my glasses? Could I do something that could reduce the prescription or in any way improve my eyesight, even though I was basically led to believe this was impossible and certainly never given any information about this? So I did all kinds of things, vision exercises, wearing my glasses less, reducing my prescriptions. And all of that was helping to some degree, but it didn't like really get me to where I wanted to get to. And one of the things I got interested in in the early 1970s, 1971, was this new thing that had just gotten introduced to the U.S. a couple of years before, which was something called meditation. And I didn't know what meditation was at the time. I thought it was just something to relax your mind, to quiet your mind, whatever. I went in, so I started meditating in 71. And so now it's 1976. And I go into my normal meditation, which was on a Sunday morning. I close my eyes, I remove my glasses. I'm sitting, I'm just breathing. 
And all of a sudden, I have a very profound experience. Even though my eyes are closed, I have the feeling that I can see the room clearly and myself in it. Now, that may sound odd to you, but you know, all of us dream at night. Our eyes are closed. There's no lights on anywhere, but we can see everything really clearly. It was just like that, except it was happening during the day rather than at night when I was sleeping. And it was an interesting sort of sensation because normally when I remove my glasses, everything is blurry. I didn't have glasses on and my eyes were closed, but everything I was seeing was totally clear. I mean, at a level of clarity, I don't think I'd ever experienced before. It was more than an optical clarity. Everything was just clear. Like I didn't have any questions or anything. Without spending too much time on this, when I opened up my eyes, my eyesight was still clear. And at first, it was sort of like, wow, what the hell's happened here? But after a couple of minutes, I actually started getting nervous. Like, what's wrong here? This is not supposed to happen. So after about a half an hour, I drove to my office with my glasses on the seat next to me because it said on my license I needed them to drive. But I could see really clearly. I went to my office. I checked myself over and over again on eye charts I had never seen from 20 feet away. And I was consistently seeing 300% better. I used to look at the eye chart and I could just see the big E at the top. Now I was seeing one line better than 2020. So I Dr. said, Lieberman, hang on a second. Here, yeah. Hang on a second. Okay. Yeah. So you're a medical doctor. Yes. You're telling me about a miracle right now. Right. That's okay. right. So you've experienced right. a miracle. Like, you know, when they say Christ, the lame walk, Jesus Christ heals the, the blind see, the lame walk. You could call it, you could call it a miracle, or maybe you could call it a spontaneous remission, which is something that's very recognizable. What's the difference between those two things? <laughs> Probably nothing, just a medical terminology. I mean, all I'm sharing with you is the most fascinating thing about this miracle is that my eyesight improved, but my prescription didn't change. In other words, the optical measurements of my eyes still showed that I was nearsighted and had a significant amount of astigmatism, and yet, I could see clearly. So did something now, happen to you medically that you can speak to, or is it just? Say that again. Did I something, didn't hear what did, you said. Did, did, like, since this um, miracle, we're just going to call it that, um, yeah. since this miracle, have you been able to diagnose what happened from a medical perspective, or are you just accepting that? I don't know what happened. I, I, no, no. I, I have a sense of what occurred. But I, it, it wouldn't fit into a medical model. But what I can tell you is, because now I'm 73, uh, I'll be 73 November 24th. I'm no longer nearsighted. I'm farsighted to the same degree I used to be nearsighted. And I have even more astigmatism now than I had back then. And I just had my vision examination a month, my yearly vision exam a month ago. And my eye doctor continued continually says, I don't understand this. I've never seen anything like this. In fact, she wrote a whole page about this in my latest book. 
The point I'm making to you is this miracle, whatever you want to call it, has now remained for 44 years, I guess, since 1976. And I don't wear any glasses for reading or distance or anything, and I haven't since that time. You ask an important question. Can you figure out medically what's happened? No, not medically. But I'll tell you what I have uncovered that this event sort of triggered for me. Because at the time, I was very interested in the 70s in, of the impact on, of the mind on the body, what they now call psychoneuroimmunology or mind-body medicine. And I knew that there was a strong relationship or an inseparable relationship, but I didn't know what it was. And so I spent several years doing a personal experiment. I called it an experiment on the workings of my mind. I was trying to figure out exactly the answer to your question. What the hell happened here? What occurred here? Because this is the biggest health epidemic in the world, people losing their eyesight either just wearing glasses or something else. And if I could figure this out, I could help a lot of people. Mm. And so I looked and looked, but the answer didn't come. I couldn't find that special place if I press a button somewhere in my head that could create this. Over my years of living and going through enjoyable experiences, and my own nervous breakdowns following divorces and traumas in life and losing parents and things like that, I became aware of something very, very interesting. You guys, I'm sure every day, are aware of this process inside we call thinking, right? Mm -hmm. You have thoughts or you worry about things or whatever. But very rarely does anyone ever wonder, how is it that we're aware of the thinking process? Where do, they, where do the thoughts come from? Well, where do the thoughts come from, number one? But something must be observing it in order for, it to, for us to be aware of it. So, for instance, when you're looking at me right now and I'm looking at you, there's no question you're over there and I'm over here and we're different. But when this thing you call your mind starts talking, you're aware of it, almost as if you're watching your television set. But we've never actually spoken about that phenomenon. So we think that we are the voice, but we're actually not the voice. We're the what? thing that's noticing. <laughs> we're the, yeah, we're the thing that's noticing the voice. The, 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 get a grip, that, the Get a Grip on Lennox podcast just took a left turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So what happened to God and the devil here? Like, I'm going to throw some salt over my left shoulder. Is it, is it Satan and, and God? Is it evil no. and good? What is it? No, 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 no. I, in fact, I've never even considered it in that realm at all. The only thing that became aware to me is, again, going back to the example of a dream. We all have dreams at night, 
and they're real. They're really real. Sometimes you're running and you, you wake up sure. uh, freaked out and so on. I mean, they're as real as real life. And something is noticing those dreams occurring almost in the same way as they're watching a movie. And this revelation came to me one day. We all have some mechanism within our humanity. Call it whatever you want. I don't have a name for it. Something that's noticing what's happening in the outside world. Something that's aware of all the feelings and sensations in the body. And that same something is aware of when this thing we call our mind is at work. And what became obvious to me is if I'm noticing the mind at work, then I'm not the mind. I'm the noticer of the mind. You're the observer. The observer. Now, why do I mention this in relation to your question? Have you figured out medically what happened? You know, you've mentioned the Bible a couple of times, so I'm going to reflect back on something from the Bible. The Bible speaks about a creative force that's called God. And then it describes God as light. Mm -hmm. And it says God is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-seeing, and omnipresent everywhere at the same time. Mm -hmm. So here's something that sees everything that's going on. And it then said, God created man in God's own image. When I had this epiphany about this witness inside, this observation, I had the feeling that that was maybe the human aspect of that divinity, the that observer inside that doesn't have a point of view because see the mind always says oh give me chocolate over vanilla i like that i don't like that but this witness as you termed it doesn't actually says i like this over this it doesn't have a voice from my experience it merely sees so to answer the question you posed to me a while back what do you think happened Hmm. My sense is that in that moment, something began seeing or witnessing from that place, whatever that is. And I don't know how the hell that occurred. And since that time, I've come to trust whatever that is that's witnessing. And so I've probably done 2,000 live presentations all over the world, keynote addresses, and probably another 2,000 interviews like this. I never prepare anything for any of them. They're totally live. Mm. Now, I used to prepare like crazy up until that event occurred in 1976. And after that, something couldn't prepare anymore. It was almost as though I had gained a confidence in some aspect of our humanity that sees things without having to work at it. That's one of the ways that's impacted me in my life. 
do I think this is available to everyone? I haven't got the slightest idea. Have I found that I've been able to help many people with this? Yes. Have I been able to help everyone? Absolutely not. But, Let me ask you a question. because um, Sure. Uh, and I'm going to swing it over to Greg to bring it back here. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on the difference between electric light and natural light and how that may be affecting us? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, electric light is not sunlight. Mm -hmm. Everything on earth is light dependent. Every cell in your body has eyes, just like the eyes in your head, that are designed to detect and respond to light. First of all, you can't see light. Light is totally invisible. What we experience is the phenomenon perceptually that we call brightness. So is there a difference? It's sort of like this. It's like sunlight is 100%, 100 octane. It's the perfect fuel mix to run this body, to run an animal's body for a plant to live on, and so on. Everything is light dependent. Anything that's not sunlight is some octane level beneath that. And so when you use it, your engine is not going to be able to run as efficiently because the octane level is not as good. So we have many different kinds of electric light. Some we have incandescents or halogens that are lower in the blue end of the spectrum, more in the red end of the spectrum. We have fluorescent lights, which are have peaks in different places. We have LEDs that primarily give you red, green, and blue energy, even though it looks like you can see yellows and other colors, but there's actually no yellow in there. It's just done through some mixing phenomenon. So is there a difference? Absolutely, there's a difference. We cannot live without natural full-spectrum sunlight. So we need a minimum daily requirement of light in order to be healthy and also to be content. Our eyes not only depend on light to see with, but light is what catches our eyes and causes the eye to involuntarily move toward the next thing we're supposed to attend to. So when we say it caught my eye, it's the light that grabs the attention of the eye and moves it towards the next thing we're supposed to tune into, whether it be a, a kid running across the street or an animal or something. Yeah, there, there is, there's way too many cultural references to light and God and seeing and understanding for yeah. us not to have a relationship with light, which is primordial and absolutely. Um, absolutely. The, well, when I was speaking um, with Dr. Jennifer Veach, who's a lighting scientist, so she studies light and other doctors, I've often brought up the point that humans at this point in 2020, when it comes to light, are kind of like fish figuring out that they're in water. It, it right. it's been so unobvious to us that right. we're literally like swim. Yeah, we're little, literally yeah. swimming in light, and then and that darkness is a type of light. Like even right. though it's dark, darkness is a type of light. And then I, I've 
you know, um, I read all of Wayne Dyer's books, for example. Um, you know, I have a friend of mine who, you know, talks about the internal light, the light that's right. inside of us and right. where dreams come from. And people will meditate and see light with in complete darkness right. with their eyes closed. They start to have phenomenons of seeing light or going towards light. When people die, they literally talk about going to the light and people don't, the know, light. They're, they don't yeah. know what they're talking. So the, the references to lighting, um, is it right now there's a lot of momentum in the industry to create electric lighting systems, which, okay, so we've created electric lighting systems, which can do lots of damage to people. We, we know right. we can do that, right? We, we can do all sorts right. of things that will mess with people. Um, so, you know, Greg and I have always said from the beginning, well, we, we want the first do no harm before we get to, we're going to help people. Absolutely. Do you, do you actually believe it's possible that humans could create lighting systems that could um, actually create a, a better aquarium, so to speak, for us? Absolutely. You do? Okay. It, it's not going to be the same as sunlight, mm -hmm. but it's going to be the best aquarium that you can get, uh, taking into account that human beings have become a, a, an indoor culture, you know. Before 1900, 90% of us lived outdoors. We worked outdoors. Now, 95% of us stay in our homes all day. So there's a huge difference. We are light deprived. And if you want to know the impact of that, just take a plant and stick it in the closet. Or... Don't even do something so extreme. Just take that plant and put a piece of glass over it so you eliminate the ultraviolet. Or put a piece of colored glass over it, which only allows certain portions of the light spectrum to come through. <clears throat> if you do that with a plant, an animal, or a human, it doesn't make a difference which. In each case, you significantly alter their physiology their biology, their ability to reproduce, all of their functions because this runs on light. The whole and, idea and, of and, and can I, can I, I want I want to add yeah. something to that. I think it also runs on darkness. And okay. so well, let, good. That's a beautiful point because <laughs> darkness is light. Yes, that's it, exactly let, let it, me it's a type of light. You. Okay, go ahead. It's not a type of light. It's not a type of light. If you go into outer space, outer space is filled with light. It's as black as black can be. You see, when we think of light, we think light is brightness. Light is just a primordial energy. It's the energy from where life emerges, if you will. The way we perceive that energy is something called brightness and color, which is created because of the relationship between the kind of perceptual uh, mechanisms that humans have and something we call consciousness, which very few people actually understand. I don't think anyone understands what consciousness is. We're going to speak about that. We're going okay. to speak about that because I started to touch upon it before, but I'll, I'll share with you some more. So <clears throat> when you say darkness is a type of light, <clears throat> darkness actually is light. 
what we perceive as brightness is just our personal perception. So we have something called circadian rhythms, which means that the, the 24 hours each day, our body is inseparably connected with the light and dark cycle. Now we think everybody says, oh, that impacts your sleep. It impacts every single physiological function there is. Every change in light, every change in spectral characteristics through the day and through the night, our biology is synchronized with it. It's designed to be synchronized with it. The more in harmony that is, the better our health and wellness. I would also add to that, I would even add to that even further, because we're actually, um, uh, well, by the time this goes out, we'll have made, Nailed is uh, making a strategic relationship with the International Dark Sky Association, and I'm very passionate about that issue. And I think it extends beyond that, because all I've heard is, you know, we're discovering that, you know, you can hurt people with light, maybe we can help them, and that most important is that they get enough darkness at night, and that will really help them sleep and put them back in this rhythm. But I think we're missing a huge thing, and this is why, you know, Dr. Lieberman, I'm going to throw something out at you. I think the dark sky issue is the most important issue for humans to solve right now environmentally, and I'm going to tell you why. Because... There, I think we are also oriented to the stars, just like the birds that fly south and the turtles that hatch and look at the moon and look at the stars. And, and I think we're Absolutely. also oriented. And the reason why is that, and I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but everybody knows what I mean when I say it. Hey, every 12,500 years, the Sphinx faces the constellation Leo, exactly. And the Great Pyramid of Giza is pointed at the middle star of Orion's belt. Like there's something with the stars and the dark sky and our spirituality and consciousness that matters. And I think we've lost our way in not being able to, like some people have never seen the stars. Right, right. First of all, uh, my inner knowing says you're 100% right on the money. Okay. I gave a keynote address at the pyramid in Giza in 1991. You're a very powerful place. (laughs) (laughs) Very powerful place. Um, Darkness, what we call darkness, which is really the, it's, it's, it, it is the home of light, if you will is the restorative part of our life. Mm. When we go to sleep at night, much more happens in our healing process at night when we're sleeping than during the day when we're doing. As an example, we're all going through a worldwide pandemic right now. Sometime in March, all of a sudden, this became obvious to us that we needed to stay at home, not travel, and so on and so forth. Everybody around the world started noticing something. Wow, the world has gotten silent. The planes are not flying. There's less people driving on the road. All of a sudden, I notice, and I live in Maui, the birds are singing much louder and much more often. The atmosphere, I kept telling everybody, My God, the atmosphere is so much clearer. And then I was blown away when I heard a climate scientist being interviewed and said 
the atmosphere has cleared more significantly during this period than during the period of every technology which we've attempted to to do to improve the climate situation, the environmental situation. And so it became clear to me that it isn't something we have to do to improve the climate. We merely need to stop doing what we're doing, which is creating a lot of side effects. And so what you're speaking about, darkness, is very powerful because those are the hours in our life when the doing substantially subsides for at least part of the earth. And we don't realize the miracle that occurs there because the whole universe is self-activating uh, and self-regulating. In other words, it heals itself. Yeah, God and rests so, too. Yeah, I, I hear you. What, let yeah. me, let me, before, I don't want to go down any like pandemic rabbit holes or that's no, okay you know climate you know i mean uh, we had we just did a podcast that we called everything is a mitigation and we can't right. mitigate our way out of any problems it's just put it's kicking right. the can down the road um right. i've made a call i don't want to hear anything from climate science because greg and i have been master mitigators we have done so we have saved so many millions of kilowatt hours for people and their businesses it's in the hundreds of millions um yeah you know i myself have recycled millions of fluorescent tubes uh kept the the stuff out of landfill so you know the, the but these mitigations are they're just that's all they are is a some sort of percentage right. of less um we we need clean electricity now if they want it, i don't Absolutely. want to hear anything from anybody about other things we need grid scale clean electricity and we need somehow to deal with waste plastic if we can't deal with those two problems then everyone should shut up because there's no miti mitigations you can't mitigate your way out of it the second thing dr lieberman is you can't live in maui and not have planes trains and automobiles and all manner of carbon emissions so our lifestyles are you know if we want to maintain our lifestyles if that's what we want we need clean electricity so but what i want to ask you about to loop back to light um, and I, I just say that to people because I'm, I'm really tired of the, the environmentalist complainers that do nothing. And I don't mean right. to say that they're all like that, but there's a lot sure. of sort of virtue signaling in that community that bothers me quite deeply. Yeah. You know, we're all, yeah. we're all Lady Macbeth. Okay. And we're all yeah. trying to clean the blood off our hands. <laughs> if you believe that there's people that don't believe that. And I respect them too, but, and they listen to the show and I have respect for them and they need to be persuaded and convinced as well with clean electricity. But nonetheless, Dr. Lieberman, how should we as an industry, so we're in the lighting industry, we're not in the spirituality industry, which is kind of, you know, right. you've kind of let, led yourself down the road. How in this industry should we change the way we talk about light, the way we work with light? What should our focuses be on? Let me just make one quick comment before we yep. get to that because you said lighting industry versus the spiritual industry and so on that term spirituality is really a bad term mm. because it has this connotation that means it's not real you know if you never saw if you had never seen a tree before mm -hmm. and someone said that's a tree and i said to you later What's a tree look like? And you said, well, it starts right at ground level, and then it goes up. Because there's a part of the tree that's not visible to you. 
the roots, mm -hmm. which is three quarters of the tree. Mm -hmm. Every living thing has roots that are not visible. It's what it's the next thing that science will uncover. So now let's talk about so let's not use the word spiritual. Let's just talk about the fact that in all living systems, there's that which we have uncovered, and then there's that which we have not uncovered. Mm -hmm. you, one is visible to us, one is not. The lighting industry is the same way. We've been looking at it in terms of just what's known. And we need to begin looking at it in terms of something that's natural rather than normal. Hmm. Because what's normal doesn't actually work. Everything that we say is normal creates side effects. Mm -hmm. Unintended consequences. Exactly. That which is natural seems to function without side effects unless we interfere with it. And so whatever techno technological approaches we take, they need to simulate mother nature they need to be in harmony with mother nature sometime in the 90s i was speaking in europe and a lighting manufacturer started talking to me about their full spectrum lights and all these things they were creating and i said <laughs> i said i said why didn't you just take a spectral radiometer put it on the roof and have the inside light mimic exactly what the sunlight is doing. Hmm. So continually measure the spectrum of the sun and allow that information to guide the inside lighting so that the inside lighting is continually blending the full spectrum that's coming off of the sun at that given moment. Well, interestingly enough, they're beginning to do that stuff now. But this was 30 years ago sure. that this came to me, which is there should be a mechanism on top of every building that is connected with the light source inside. And, you know, for instance, when we take an LED and we say, oh, we have a white LED, which is really an RGB. Um, and it's got all kinds of holes in the spectrum, but people are now creating LEDs that have six different colors, eight different colors, 10 different colors. If you can get technology and allow it to be driven <clears throat> by what the solar spectrum is doing at any given moment, then the people inside the building will have a much better chance of their physiology being in harmony with Mother Nature's. That's the thrust As right now of the industry. So what, what what's kind of emerging right now is this color tuning. Now I don't know if RBG can do it. I mean I'm not. I I just right. I sell light bulbs and install them right. and control them <coughs> and recycle them. I don't really get into the science right. behind it, but. What, what's emerging as the answer and what Greg's asked a million times is what is the optimal schedule for my tunable lighting system? And nobody can provide that to them or they won't provide it to them or they don't know. Okay. But what's kind of emerging is that you want different colors of light and you want the amount to change throughout the day. And generally it should start warmer in the morning. It should go cooler in the afternoon and go back to warmer. 
right? right? And what's interesting is I'm going to add to that as well. My one, I have four kids. One of my kids has a, a smaller room with a small window. So I put a solo t- solar tube in her room, okay, that brings in the natural light. And it's uh-huh. great during the day. It does everything you would expect during the day. But you know what the real treat of it is? When you lay down to, and I always fall asleep in a room. When you lay down to sleep in a room, <laughs> look you, can, up. you can see the moonlight too, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's wonderful how the moonlight level yeah. changes too. It's absolutely yes. fascinating. And so there's, there, there's, I, I think there's something to the light, like being a, a um, natural light being 100% <laughs> supreme, but even light levels changing throughout a course of a day and their color, the brightness, the intensity, and then, but generally following an arc. I think there's something right. to that. And I think it even goes deeper. I think you, like, as we discover this, and as we learn about this, um, if we're humble enough, we'll realize that people that whose ethnicity is from northern climates and those that are right. at the equator probably have slightly different rhythms for this. Absolutely. That, you know, we're going to discover this and, you know, we're going to say, hey, you know, oh my goodness, look at that. You know, can you believe that, you know, people of um, Indian descent or African descent, they require sort of a different optimization than, than those who are from Sweden. Or you know, northern you know, Finland. You, you, what you're talking about is absolute truth beyond opinion. <laughs> my ego, yeah, my ego's back. <laughs> but, but you see, that truth doesn't come from the ego. That truth comes from real humility. It mm. comes from realizing how little we really understand about things, and that's what keeps us growing. Mm. Uh, it's not approaching this from a place of self-importance or I know a lot, but coming from the place of, wow, this is just absolutely miraculous. Um, yesterday, I did an interview in the morning, and the guy wanted to talk about uh, choices, making choices and consciousness and all this. And he's talking about how we are the creators of our reality and you know, making all these new agey kind of statements, which I don't resonate with. And I said, um, do you realize that you and I are the current state of evolution for millions of years of the lineage that preceded us? I said, so where do you think all the patterns that, that you see in you, where did that originate from? You think it started when you were born? Do you think it had anything to do with your parents or your grandparents or their great grandparents? I said, the reality is we don't know where any of this began. We don't know why we are the way we are. We don't know why we respond the way we respond. To think that I'm running the show because of this little chattering box inside, I said, is really arrogant because. I'm going to be almost 73, and we notice that when we're going through some fear about something, the doctor says, oh, I have to take a biopsy or whatever it is, and we start worrying, and all of our trepidation comes up, and they say the mind thinks the worst-case scenario. Well, rarely, if ever, do you find that that actually occurs, and so I said, we're talking about making choices But how much can you actually trust that mechanism that's shattering all the time? How often is it really on the money? 
Yeah. You know, you know, what's interesting about that, that idea of that manifestation kind of out of the the French philosophers, um, this idea that you're the only person that exists and you manifest the reality and the other person, you know, where does that go? Because it leads to other people being in a way sort of figments of your imagination, if that's true. Do you you understand what I mean? Like it's a super egotistical uh, position. Every problem, every problem that I see, is related to the illusion that you and I are different. The illusion that on some level we're we're not inseparably connected. I mean, if we go back far enough, it's interesting. I did a DNA test on 23andMe some while ago with my Uh wife. And the other day I got a little email, you know, they, they said, oh, you're new relatives. And the first one listed is this guy, this person, and that name is the name of a guy that was in a men's group with me for 18 years. And this guy's 88 years old. And I said, Walter, did you just um, sign up for 23andMe? He said, yeah, I haven't even gotten my first report yet. I said, do you realize that we're cousins? Hmm. Now, it was like sixth cousin or some shit like sure. that. But <laughs> the point I'm making is, I would have never imagined it. And so on some level, we're connected. I don't, you know, I'm not speaking spiritual talk. I'm saying our humanity is connected. I said earlier, at the end of the day, no matter how we approach this, whether we're recycling light bulbs or speaking at a church on Sunday or doing something else, we all want the same thing. There's also certain things. There's also... Yeah, there's, but there's also certain things, and, and to bring it back to light soon in a second, Greggy, we're going to come there. Yeah. It is the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. But there is certain things that, um, that are universal, that are very curious. Like, for example, yeah. no culture honors ca- cowardice in men. It's just that there's no culture in the world. Now, cowardice is not honored in women in, in any any sense either. But it's kind of understood that sometimes women have to run away or whatever. But in men, it's not tolerated in any ancient cultures. You, right. you, you don't want to be a coward. Another thing is like cruelty. Like we all know cruelty when we see it. We know the difference between slaughtering yeah. an animal for food and abusing an animal. Like we, we know right. these things. And so we all know them. So there's something in us that is that is that is is part of our consciousness but that is inherited through our genes and we know these things yeah. to be wrong or we yeah. know these things to be right can we bring it back to light greg <laughs> yeah i do you know just in reading your biography a little what is the international light association you're on the board of directors what is that yeah i'm on the honorary board now it's a group of scientists physicians uh, holistic practitioners or many different walks of life and just I- people that are interested in the phenomenon of light and color. Uh, it's an organization that was developed in Europe. Uh, it's been around, I think, since sometime in the 90s or maybe the early 2000s. Uh, and they usually have conferences once a year, although now they're doing them online where they have speakers from all over the world speaking about light, about different aspects of light, different aspects of color as therapeutic tools 
or as new technologies and so on. And even about lighting. And we have a lot of lighting, uh, not lighting engineers, but lighting architects as well in this organization. Okay. So it's just advancing electric light as well as natural light, everything. Got yeah, primarily they're more into the therapeutic aspects of mm -hmm. light, light biology, and also the therapeutic value of using what we perceive as colored light, different portions of the spectrum to augment physiology, mood, things like that. So that's their primary. But we definitely have people coming in in the lighting field and people in the organization that are specifically in the lighting field. Got it. And you, you kind of mentioned something before, but any, just for, I think Mike actually maybe asked this, but I just want to reiterate again for people that are actually selling light or are doing lighting in the field. What are the, if you had tips that we could do to do it the right way or, or, you know, have people be able to see it. You're right. Um, you know, everything is light dependent. So what, what do we do with electric light to do our job? We need to begin looking at it from a broader perspective. So often in business, when you're doing something, you're looking at what people refer to as the bottom line. You know, how can I create this cheap and make a profit on it? And all the things that we we see having to do with business, but yeah, that's what we want to talk but, about. <laughs> but business, business, business done the right way mm -hmm. is a win-win-win situation. Yeah, it's a situation where you're doing something that is good for humanity, and you're also reimbursed because you're doing something good for humanity. It's not just about stealing from Peter to pay Paul kind of thing, and so the people in the lighting field know more about lighting than I do. <clears throat> so I have to trust them in terms of the knowledge base. But if you just realize every time we step outside a building during the day to go out for lunch and the sun is shining, if you had a recording device by the door and you just listened to the sounds that came out of people as they exited, They'd all make the same sound. <sighs> it's a sigh of relief. That sigh of relief lets you know that what's been going on inside is stressful. And it could be because the air is conditioned, the sound is conditioned, the light is, con you know, everything is static in a world that we say the only constant is change. You could even have a maniac boss like Greg Eric just cracking the whip on everybody all day long. Get to work, sell more light bulbs, sell them. <laughs> so the the key the key is to the key is to study something about the impact of light on our system. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with my latest book, Luminous Life. Have you seen that at all? No, I have so not. So it's called Lumi Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living. And it's talking about the fact that light doesn't only guide the movement of the eye. Keep in mind, we think that we're looking. We're not. We're seeing. The eye does not 
move voluntarily. It moves involuntarily in response to light catching its attention. Mm -hmm. And it moves towards the next thing that is most important for us to attend to. And so you could say light is guiding our steps through life. That is happening with the 100 trillion cells in our body. All of them have photoreceptors designed to detect and respond to individual photons. Let me repeat that again. The human eye and the cells in the body can detect single, one photon, single photons. This, now, Deborah, this is what Deborah Burnett was talking about, Greg. Yeah, th uh -huh. that's, that's the edge of quantum physics. And so what I'm sharing with you is our connection with light is inseparable. It's absolutely inseparable. And so when you begin to, a lot of what I speak about in this book is how we are literally guided by light. We are literally guided. Our actions, our physiology are guided by light. When you realize the truth of that, just from spending time outdoors and seeing how you feel, then all of a sudden, when you begin to create lighting products, <clears throat> or when you create, when you begin recommending certain lighting products, you're recommending or creating whatever you're guided that feels like, oh, this is the closest thing we can to this living light, this mother nature gift that we get every day, the most powerful environmental factor that we have. Light is the most powerful environmental factor we have. And so the lighting that we have indoors must as closely as possible mimic what mother is nature doing is doing outdoors so that our health our state of contentment and our even our relationship with each other can be optimized well i got news for you you're a little bit richer you know why why i just bought your book on my phone <laughs> <laughs> So I uh, while you were talking there, so I, I'm going to read it, and you know we're we're running out of time here. So, is it possible that after I read your book, we could have that discussion on consciousness? Dr. Oh, Lieberman? I would love that because that's where I really am at this part of my life right now. You know, if you look at the life of Einstein uh, and other people. <clears throat> other physicists like David Bohm, they were incredible geniuses in terms of mathematics and physics and so on. But as they got older, they became philosophers. Mm -hmm. sure. All of a sudden, they gained humility. They yeah, realized sure. they didn't have all the answers. They realized that there was a great mystery at work, which was really what's why we have science, because science is looking through telescopes, microscopes, and elaborate science, scientific research to try to uncover the next level of truth. You see that with the Max Planck. You see that with Max Planck and the guy who wrote the Brief History of Time, and and sure. they, they they graduate to this place of ob observation of what they've discovered. 
Exactly. And the mystic is doing the same thing. The mystic isn't using a telescope or a microscope. They're using direct observation from this place I attempted to describe mm. very early in our discussion today. But they come to a different level of truth. It takes science many, many years to prove in the laboratory what the mystic was speaking about a hundred years before, but it couldn't explain to you how or why. But both are aspects of inquiry that need to be respected. One is our built-in sense of knowing, and the other is the power of the mind and our intellect. Both go hand in hand, and how we use them together uh, is really what creates the most beneficial life. You can buy. You can get his book on Audible, like I just did, folks. Or I'm sure it's on Amazon as well. The hard copy and the it so, is. And it is. You can get him on Amazon, and we will post links to it on the Get a Grip on Letting website for all those listeners out there. Doctor Lieberman, Jacob, thank you for being a guest on the Get a Grip on Letting podcast. Uh, this this was a wonderful conversation. I really really enjoyed this a lot. You both, uh, you have some wonderful wonderful insights. And uh, one of the things I appreciated about both of you is your humanity. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know, it, uh, it's, it's nice to connect with others like yourself. You might be doing something different or expressing it differently than I am, but we're on the same track. We're moving in the same direction. And it's nice to know that we're in the same boat. And folks, after I read the book, Scott, the producer, is going to try to uh, drag Dr. Lieberman, Jacob, into the Get a Grip on Get a Grip Studios again to talk a little bit more, more consciousness. And we'll whenever you, know you want to do this, <clears throat> whenever you want to do this, you'll only get one answer: yes. Because interesting conversation for me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Is the most nourishing part of my life. So whenever you want to do this, I'm here for it. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful day. In Minnesota, in Toronto? <laughs> yes, sir. Good for you. See you soon. And uh, yeah, thank you for just being who you are. Likewise. Thank you. I'll All right. You. Be well. Bye. Bye. Energyfocus.com, the original. E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot com. That's D-O-T-C-O-M, Greg. Keep your existing fixture. You don't have to get wild here. You can keep that thing. Cut the ballast out of it, which a lot of people want to do anyways. They're sick of ballast. They want to get rid of them. Put an LED tube in it. That's very common. But what's not common and what is an op awesome option for men focus is that their tube is dimming capable and color tuning capable without additional wiring. So the tube itself has it all built in there. It has a remote that can do everything you need it to do with an easy-to-follow system. You want it warmer, you want it brighter. You want it uh, different colors or different light outputs, you can do all that right on the switch with the tube, most cost-effective retrofit solution or, or solution there is out there for this type of lighting. Totally. And, uh, I, you know, I think I think there's sales out there for this. I'm not kidding. Like When people say, uh -huh. you know, hey, uh, well, you know, whatever, I just, people just want to save energy. I don't believe that, man. I think there's a certain segment of the population. I, I don't think it's for mass market yet, uh, but, you know, uh, we're still the industry is still learning how to to implement some of the knowledge from academia 
into general lighting systems. We're still learning that, but I think there's a huge audience out there, especially for end focus when it's so accessible, so affordable. All you do, labor-wise, yeah, come on. Right, there's, there's people that have different preferences, and if you want to keep your employees happy and satisfied and staying at your office, maybe they want a different color. And you don't want to have to go around managing all these different light bulbs. It can be all done with one light bulb. So you got to think and focus from the original, the flicker-free original. Don't forget. E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot com, baby. And proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. I said in the intro, man, you got to get associated. What are you waiting for, man? If you're running the education, the networking, the vendors, oh, man, come on. And it's only 650 bucks. You heard me. Is it six fifty or six ninety? Something like that. Like, what are you talking yeah. about, man? You got to get in this association. We're going dark sky. We're starting up a panel to 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 basically take this industry to dark sky. We where we got. Uh, I can't even. I I could just go on and on about nailed. Get into nailed. End of the story. If you're not associated now, get associated. And of course, Jacob, Doctor Lieberman. Do you think I can call him Jake? Oh, I don't that, know. But... <laughs> I will try. Come on, Jacob. I'm calling you Mike. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Lieberman, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to read your book for sure. Um, it's next on the list. And then um, as soon as I'm done it, I'm going to try to get you back on here to discuss that wild and crazy consciousness stuff. Maybe it'll be a life show. Maybe it'll be a lighting show. But hey, it is what it is. Dr. Lieberman, thanks for being a guest. For all you listeners out there, my colleagues, nothing but love to you guys. Take it easy. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. If you are lost, the Lord is there to find you.